Well, how is everybody doing this morning? It's, uh, it's a good day. Fall is here. Can you tell? Can you, can you feel that fall weather in the air? I mean, instead of 110 degrees today, it's going to be 103. It's a little, a little bit of a... We're grateful for that. Um, I'm glad that you're here with us. I'm glad we have air conditioning and uh, we can worship in comfort, right? Wanted to remind you about, um, I know that they mentioned this morning, next week, that we have Chad Seabright going to come with us, to come here to speak, to be uh, part of the, he's doing a revival, but he doesn't really want to, he, he said, I don't really want to call it a revival, and I was like, well, I don't know what you call it, you're a special speaker who comes and you're going to speak every night, but um, his emphasis is not on revival, if that makes sense. His emphasis is on prayer. And so I just want to encourage you next week to be here. I know sometimes they say, oh, the pastor's not speaking, so I won't come. And I, you know, I appreciate the loyalty, but um, I've invited Chad to come, and I think he's going to just uh, be great for us. And I hope that you're able to be here. Bring some friends. It won't be it won't be boring, you know. It's it is uh, it'll be a good time next week. And wanted to let you know something very exciting happened for us last night. I think we have some pictures. Even we had a time of uh, fresh beginnings, fresh starts, new beginnings. Put them together. Yeah, fresh beginnings. We started the. Uh, relaunched Rescue Hill, the church last night. And um, this is some of what was going on in that church building in Arlington. It's uh, Rescue Hill, you know, we've partnered with them for, for a while, human trafficking organization that at the same time they started the human trafficking uh, ministry, they also started a church. Well, the human trafficking part has just taken so much time. And then their pastor was called to another church in Arlington. And so, um, well, not their pastor, but Steve, uh, Amanda's husband. And so they asked us if we would be willing to help them relaunch Rescue Hill and take it under our wings. So we did. And you can see this was the first group that was there, um, several from uh, our church, some from other places, just to see what was going on. So my ask for this church is... That you, this isn't the community that we're trying to reach at that location, but I am going to ask you to partner with us, with Rescue Hill, as we do this, and just be in prayer for them. Uh, what we want is for that church to be able to reach, and they'll be able to reach people that we never could here. Lucas is going to be the campus pastor there. Gabby is going to be leading worship, and... Um, just be thinking about that. And then I would also ask one other thing as you're doing that over the next six months. The launch team, uh, I've asked them to be, give us a six-month commitment. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys, one time, one Saturday night in the next six months, make your way over to the Rescue Hill Church in Arlington. We'll make the address available. It's going to be every Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And that'll be their service time for the foreseeable future at some point they might go to sunday morning but this is also not a traditional community so if uh, you want to at some time i would ask you to in fact um i was going to say i would invite you but i'm going to ask you 
just one time in the next six months. Go on a Saturday night, six o'clock, see what's going on. See who's there, who's attending. And then in about six months, we're gonna have a grand opening. Right now, it's just kind of soft opening, kind of starting things up. But in six months, we're gonna have a grand opening. So, you know, that would be fun. Come and see what's going on. Gabby's leading worship. It's time of prayer. It's a smaller, more intimate setting. Um, and the emphasis is going to be a, a neighborhood church a church that is in the neighborhood serving the people uh, in that spot. So anyway, it's exciting. I'm excited that we're able to do this. I'm excited that um, the church here and the board has allowed and supported this vision, this dream, and I think it's going to be just a really, really good time uh, for us to do that. Um, we're going to continue our series on the kingdom of God. I've called it just the kingdom, pretty, you know, what, what can you do with the kingdom of God as far as uh, creatively naming it? But we're going to pick up this week where we left off last week. We'll take a break next week because Chad Seabright's going to be with us and then we'll uh, keep going. But last week we talked a little bit about the idea that many of us have become really good at being religious. We're also looking at the fact that what the world needs is not more religious people. And we need people who are invested and interested in the kingdom of God. That's really what we're talking about in this series called Kingdom. Um, Jesus came and he brought a message that somehow got messed up. Somehow it got twisted. Um, and the language he used would have been very familiar to those who heard it. To us it seems strange. We don't use archaic words like you know your kingdom anymore we, we don't speak that way but they would have understood what Jesus was trying to convey was there's this realm where there was no junk where there was no small minded things where there was no pettiness and he called this the kingdom of God petty that's a funny word you ever think about petty have you ever done something petty no, I won't call you out here, you know, just thinking about that. But in the kingdom of God, those things don't get to happen. The kingdom of God is the sphere where what God says goes, where everything that happens meets with his approval and delight. Contrast that with the kingdom of earth, and we find that the, in the kingdom of earth, things are pretty messed up. In the kingdom of God, they are not. So what Jesus came to do was to bring his realm into our realm and he taught us to pray that way when the disciples said Lord teach us to pray you guys know the prayer he said well this is how you pray our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and because of we've heard it so often the the words don't mean as much to us as maybe they did then but he's saying your kingdom come in other words let what goes on up there happen down here whatever you imagine is going on in heaven right now that's what Jesus and God want to be happening right here right now it's not on the kingdom of earth except for in our sphere if we want to know what that kingdom is like all you have to do is look at Jesus who was Jesus what was his good news what was his his gospel and it wasn't the minimum entrance requirements for heaven his good news was that his kingdom, God's kingdom, is available to you and to me right now. And so today I want to talk about 
what God or what Jesus kind of thought was going to happen when people realized what was going on, when people realized how awesome this kingdom was, he figured that they would be willing to do anything to be a part of it. That it would be so important that they would do anything. And so that's the kind of stories he told. And if you want to follow along in the notes for today's message, by the way, I should do this before I get to this point, but you can scan the QR code or go to the church's app and uh, either way, it'll be there. But Jesus would, would tell stories that illustrated people's desire on how deeply they wanted something or how desperately they wanted. And so in Luke chapter 15, he told a story like this. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 says, Or imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors, celebrate with me. I have found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. It's written a little differently probably because this is out of the message, but I just love that. That's the kind of party that God's gonna throw. We don't imagine our God throwing a party, but that's the kind of language they were using. Um, he told stories like that, uh, stories of, of desperation, uh, like a lost son. You guys know in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, or wedding banquets in Matthew 22, things that people wanted more than anything else in life. There are two stories in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field and in his excitement he buried the treasure again you guys know this story right he buried the treasure again and went and sold everything he had to buy the field Jesus is conveying that when somebody finds something they really want they'll do anything to get it and I wonder how many of you have been in that boat before Teresa and I, before we moved here, I'll just tell a story. It wasn't even in my notes, but it's just a funny story because this illustrates the point. I, I like uh, country living. I, I, I want to have land. I, you know, I want to I do all the, the country things. I want to have cows. I want to, like, that's, that sounds like fun to me. Some of you are like, I don't want any cows. <laughs> but I would love that. And so when, before we moved here, there, this five-acre piece of land came for sale and I wanted it so bad nothing on it I, I was I did anything you know what I ended up doing because I don't know exactly I mean I have an idea you probably do too how loans work and all that but for some reason I couldn't get the loan by myself so I went to I like was at Teresa you want to how do we do this how do she the whole time she's like I just feel like you're forcing this thing but I want the land how am I gonna and I, I remember I go into my mom a 40-year-old man going to his mom. Mom, <laughs> uh, can you help me out here? And she signed on a loan for me. Mom did. She helped. She co-signed a loan so we could get that land. And um, then, you know, a few years later, we ended up selling it. But I just remember wanting it so badly that I was willing to go ask my mom to help me get a loan for the land because we're willing to do anything when we find something we want, right? Um, there was a, the story of the pearl merchant. You guys have probably read about that one in Matthew 13. He's on the lookout for choice pearls and he finds a pearl of great value and when he does, he sells everything he has so he can go back 
and buy this pearl. It's a story about the kingdom of God that when somebody finds something they want, they will do anything they have, they can to get it. So Jesus tells these kind of earthly stories, things that we can relate to. If I were to tell a story like that today, it might be like, um, many of you know, when Cerise and I think I've told this story before, we would, when we got married, or before we were married, I moved here, I was a youth pastor in Grand Prairie, I was living in Arlington, and she was in Midland, 300 miles away. This is a miserable time, because there I am, we're engaged, my fiance, I wanna be with her. So I talked my pastor into every once in a while without costing me any days off he would let me off uh, an extra like on Thursday so I would leave after youth group on Wednesday night and drive to Midland and spend Wednesday night Thursday Friday come back home on Saturday so I could be back for church so that I could be with Teresa and I would I remember and I, I would do that probably once a month he would let me do that Jesus would say, so what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a young man, maybe not so bright, who will leave at nine o'clock on a Wednesday night, drive through the night, and I, you know what I would do? I would drive straight to her house. <laughs> straight to her house. I'd get there at like one in the morning. Hey, I'm here. And she'd be like, I'm, I'm asleep. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. But I drove through the night. That's what the kingdom of God is like. I was desperate to see her. And Jesus would say, so what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a man who would drive through the night and forego tiredness and hungriness and all the things so he can be with the one he loves. Or when we had, I'll tell another one. Is that okay? I don't want to get carried away. But this is the kind of story Jesus told when we had Caden. I don't know if all of you know. Probably have shared this before too. Caden our youngest, when he was born, uh, immediately went to the NICU. He, uh, he, uh, he collapsed a lung. It actually tore his lung somehow. They don't know exactly how. Uh, when he was born, he came out and he let out a, a really loud scream. They think maybe he just burst his lung, literally. Uh, and immediately went to the NICU. They brought him in. If you've ever seen it, it's one of the scariest things you'll ever see as a parent with your child in this big yellow gurney that's enclosed that you could like it was I hope I know other parents go through that and I'm sorry it, we did and it was horrible and she had a c-section and so now he's in the NICU she's in recovery c-section she can't go to him I'll never forget this and they then they transferred him to Odessa so he's in the NICU in Odessa she's in a hospital in Midland and that's 20 miles apart she couldn't get to him c-section scar if you've ever had that it's it's miserable you know she couldn't move very well she couldn't but she checked herself out of the hospital I mean every doctor and husband said do not check yourself out but she did anyway and I'll never forget she's walking to the car like this to get in the car and now I'm like, well, if you're going to get out, can you hurry at least? <laughs> I didn't say that. I was like, can we just take you back to the hospital? We got a camper and parked it in the parking lot of the Odessa Hospital. And she stayed in that camper so she could be closer to her son. And I will never forget what she sacrificed. And Jesus would tell a story like that. He would say, how can I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a woman who has a C-section and really can't move very well, but she drives, checks herself out of the hospital early, drives 20 miles, lives in a camper so she can be that much closer to her infant son. It's about desperation. 
How badly do we want the kingdom? And the problem with where we are today as Americans is we're not desperate for anything, right? That's, it, it, we just don't have a desperation for a lot of things. Some of us get in trouble or we get behind on a bill or whatever. We get desperate about that. And if you notice it's at those times, you're like, oh God, I need you to help me. They're stories of desperation. So Jesus would come up with these crazy kind of stories because he believed that when people understood what the kingdom of God was really all about, they would be willing to do anything like the stories I just told. That's how he taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May up there come down here because that is all we really want. That is the place we want to live in. That is the civilization where we want to exist. So back to the guy who found the treasure and bought the field. It's it's not about him buying the field. It's about so much more. It's about him willing to give up something little to get something so much more bigger. (laughs) I don't know how to say something so much more extravagant. It's not sacrifice at all. He would give up more if he could. Who wouldn't give up everything they have for this great treasure and that's what Jesus was trying to help us understand the kingdom of God is like Dallas Willard in the book Divine Conspiracy he wrote this he said the self-denial that Jesus calls us to is always the surrender of a lesser dying petty feudal self for a greater eternal one I think I even have that on the slide up here self-denial that Jesus calls us to is always the surrender of a lesser dying petty feudal self for a greater eternal one we're not giving up anything right I mean we're giving up the lesser dying petty feudal self for something so much better God's taken our old dirty filthy rags which uh, of righteousness which scripture says is like stained soiled cloth and he's giving us something brand new fresh white pure so this is what the kingdom of God looks like and this has happened before there was a group who gave up everything to be a part of the kingdom of God they gave up their time and possessions and families and securities and they did it with joy they did a celebrating and high-fiving each other and and couldn't believe they were the ones who got to be a part of the kingdom of God it was just an amazing thing is a place where the rich and the poor got along slaves and free Jews and Greeks men and women everybody got along because we're all made equal in the eyes of God in Acts chapter 2 this is how Luke says it they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home every meal a celebration exuberant and joyful as they praised God people in general liked what they saw and every day their number grew as God added those who were saved and that's that's the thing this kingdom people saw it and they liked it Because instead of being rude to the merchant, they were loving the merchant. Instead of being petty, they were welcoming. Like, everybody liked what was going on. And this is God's plan, that we are so transformed from the inside out that 
that people will see the kingdom of God everywhere we go and that little communities of his kingdom will spring up everywhere we go and that's introduced to the world and then the kingdom breaks into places like Marty B's or your work or Target. God needs his kingdom there. Or your home. Everywhere you go, the kingdom is, is popping up. And the question for us today is, if what God said is true, then why aren't people breaking in the doors to get in this place? Why isn't there a news truck outside right now with camera crew saying, we want to know what's going on here. We don't understand it. Why is it the numbers we talked about last week one church is closing every 14 minutes I think we've just done a really bad job of showing the kingdom because we've reduced it to the minimum entrance requirements for heaven we've missed the boat on what it means to have a transformed life that's why Jesus talks so much about what this was and what it looked like and so I think the problem lies in what they call boundary markers. If we look at Romans, James Dunn wrote a commentary on Romans and he says that the rabbis of Jesus' day were focused on the wrong things. See, boundary markers, they determine who's in and who's out. So the rabbis, they were focused on circumcision, dietary law, and Sabbath keeping. Those were the three things they focused on. But why were the rabbis so obsessed with those things? If you read through the Gospels, you'll see how obsessed they were. I mean, they talked about those things obsessively all the time. But they knew it wasn't the heart of the law. If you want to know the heart of the law, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It tells you the heart of the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you should love him with your heart and with your soul and with your mind and strength. And they asked Jesus later, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing? He says, love the Lord your God with the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The heart of the law, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is about love. That's the focus of the Levitical law. That was its focus. So James Dunn in his commentary says that rabbis didn't focus on those things because of something that sociologists call boundary markers. So all groups tend to be exclusive and use boundary markers. Not that they're a bad thing, but they can be used poorly. They determine who's a member, who's in and who's out. I mean, it might be the way you comb your hair or don't comb your hair. What you eat, where you live, what clothes you wear, what shoes you wear, but we all have them. As an example, in the 1960s, if somebody pulled up to you in a VW bus that had stickers all over it that says, make love, not war, or give peace a chance, they have long hair, bare feet, we know they're a, a hippie, yeah. If you see somebody walking around in Lululemon clothing and they're clutching a water bottle and they have the latest sneakers on, probably they're into fitness right I think some people are faking it by the way some posers out there <laughs> if you see somebody wearing black leather patches sewn on it maybe boots and some jeans some tattoos probably they're a biker right 
they're boundary markers. So why did the rabbis focus on the wrong three things? These are not the right things. They are not what's important in the law. They are not the thrust of the Levitic, Levitical law. It was about love. Love of God, love of neighbor. That's what it's about. So why did they focus on these things? Because they're boundary markers. Who's in and who's out? So the question becomes, how do you then recognize who a follower of Jesus is? It really gets to the kind of people that we want to be at our church. What kind of people do we want to be here at Lantana? Jesus' boundary markers, in Luke chapter 10, it, when they asked Jesus what was the most important, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, he's creating a boundary marker. The problem with these boundary markers is it's not external. It's part of your heart. And it gives context now when he says, it's about a circumcision of the heart. It's not something you can see. It is the way you behave. And I think that's part of our problem as churchgoers because we look at somebody, we size them up, and we say, mm, I don't think they're a Christian. Have you talked to them? No, no, I probably won't either because they do not look like one. Right? Like we, we put these boundary markers on people. Jesus says you can't do that. What's going on in the heart? That's what sets a believer in Jesus, a follower of him, apart from all the rest. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I am nothing, and this is a message too, I love this, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. That's country talk. If you've ever heard a rusty gate creak. John says it stronger in 1 John 4, 8. Read this if you're prepared. The person who refuses to love doesn't know God because God is love. So if you don't love, then you don't know God. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that time and time and time again, Jesus gets into conflict with the rabbis, but it's always over circumcision, dietary law, and Sabbath-keeping. What was going on was Jesus was threatening their status as insiders. He was taking their Sunday school room. They didn't like it. They didn't want none of it. Circumcision, dietary law, and Sabbath keeping. So boundary markers vary from place to place, but Christian boundary markers are everywhere, and, and churches are no different. We have boundary markers. I mean, you can go way back when women couldn't wear makeup, right? Or some churches still, there's no instruments. Or women couldn't wear pants or have long hair. No drinking, no music, whatever they are. It's like at some point, church people said, if we can't be holy, we'll at least be weird. What they're doing is they're making themselves feel different from everybody else. If, because if I can feel different, then I feel like I'm included. Jesus is saying it's not about that. It's about what's going on in your heart. And all people are included. In Jesus' day, it was the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath is a good thing. I, I, I love the Sabbath. You should all have a Sabbath, a day of rest. Take a Sabbath. The problem was they came up with 39 different ways to get mechanical about the Sabbath. One of the things they got so mad about Jesus, when he healed somebody, he would, this is so funny, because he would do it on the Sabbath. They would be mad at Jesus for working on the Sabbath. And then he would tell the person who was crippled for 39 years, now stand up, get your mat, and walk. And the, the Pharisees would be so upset because they picked up their mat. That's not resting on the Sabbath. They're telling a 39-year-old invalid. And he's like, I don't care about the Sabbath right now because I get to walk. Praise God, I've been Sabbath for 39 years. Jesus didn't say quit doing the Sabbath, but he said, how does it make me a better Christian? That's why he said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man. How can that make you a better Christian? How is it shaping your heart? The things that you do, how is it shaping your heart? Not does, how does it make you better than somebody else? Jesus' hope for you and me is not to become people who observe the rules or people who know a lot or anything like that. It's to become people who genuinely are desperately in love with God who love other people. That's his hope for us. We don't want to become more religious. God knows we don't need more religious people. We need people who love God and love each other. Look at the woman at the well. This blew their minds, by the way, that woman at the well. Whenever Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman by himself in the heat of the day, everything wrong about that picture. But Jesus didn't have that boundary marker like the Jews had. Jesus told her, earthly water will leave you thirsty, but the water that I give you will never let you thirst again. It's a fountain that gushes with endless life. That's what the kingdom of God is like, and, and that's what kingdom living is like. It's like a fountain within you that's just always gushing life. And you're accepting everybody, and you have joy. And you're not gonna always be happy, don't mistake. I mean, you're gonna have times of sadness, you're going to have times of madness, but you will always have joy. And that life is always gushing out of you so that even in your anger, you don't sin. Because it's just love that's gushing out of you all the time. So what if Jesus was right? What if the Spirit of God is like a river that's just flowing all the time. You guys have heard me say this before. This is kind of my analogy. Your job is not to get up earlier, to try harder, to run faster. What if God is already at work in every place all the time, and our job is not to find something to do, but to find the rhythm of what God is already doing? Figure out how do we stay in God's movement. Something's already happening. Something is already going on. Something is moving in the kingdom of God. And he's asking us to find what that is. The problem is that we all think that the story is about us. We are the main character in our play. 
<laughs> Some of us are like, that's right. First listing on the... But God is the main character. And, and we're all supporting cast. And he's asking us, he's like, hey, there's something going on already. You don't need to create something. You don't need to invent something. Just find the flow. This is what I love about what is going on at Rescue Hill right now. Because we were not looking for something else to do. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take people. But we're trying to stay in the rhythm of God. And what he's asked us to do is to harmonize with him in this beautiful song that he's singing. And he's invited us to be a part of that. And if we didn't answer the call, somebody else would. Because people who believe in God and his kingdom are always looking for his song, for that river. This way of life has much less to do with doing the right things and more to do with learning to hear God's song and harmonize with it. We spend so much life wanting to do what's right. And we take the list that Paul made about debauchery and drunkenness and all of the things and, and we say, oh, there's the list. I've been looking for a list. I want to follow the list. And God's like, I just, listen, if you love me, it's just, this is just how you're naturally gonna live. You don't have to have a list. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with being religious. And we're finding that these arbitrary boundary markers that we set up really only make us feel better about ourselves. What if we got up every morning and we said, God, let your kingdom come in me. I wanna be caught up in your song. I want to be caught up in what the Holy Spirit is doing today. God, keep me in the rhythm and flow of your grace. And the thing is, is this has happened before. This is happening now. There was a community that got caught up in God's rhythm, living in God's kingdom. And, and the crazy thing is, you would throw them in jail, they would convert the jailer. You would whip them, and they would sing songs. You would tell them to be quiet, and they wouldn't quit speaking. You would take their resources and they would share what they had left with everybody in the community. You would persecute them and they would be happy about it because you thought they were worthy to be persecuted like Jesus was. You would hate them and they would love you back. Now how do you stop something like that? How do you make that not happen the reason we're here today is because in the first century church that's what was going on and it didn't stop then and it's not going to stop now it wasn't because they were really religious or they figured out how to do rituals better than anybody else but they found God's song they found out a way to harmonize with it I'm going to read the section of this book in closing Uh, there's a an author named McLaren that I, I just I read this story and I just really liked it and he said this think of a song that comes to you somewhere somehow from somewhere at first you may catch a note here or there a phrase 
And it may sound strange, but once you really hear it, once you pick it up, once it finds its way into your soul and it begins to play there, it feels so familiar, so natural that you wonder if you haven't made it up yourself. Yet the song's splendor and grandeur and mystery convince you that its origin lies beyond your own imagination. You find yourself humming the song, tapping your finger to it, whistling it, and, and you wonder, where did this song come from? Who wrote this? How did I get it into my head? And so the kingdom of God comes to you and to me, not like a commercial on the radio or a TV or a political slogan in a campaign or a scientific formula in a classroom, but like a song. It sneaks up on you and then it sneaks inside of you and somewhere in your journey through life, you begin to hear this song whose music captures your heart with its rhythm, its melody, its ambiance, its glory. And as you begin to move to its rhythm, you enter the dance. And over time, your whole life begins to harmonize to the song. Its rhythm awakens you. Its tempo moves you. And so you resonate with its tone and its flow and its melody. And the lyric gradually convinces you that the entire world was meant to share in this song with its message, with its joy, with its dance. As Bruno comes up, just want to ask, maybe you've Maybe you've been in the dance for a while and you just want a fresh awakening. Maybe you've been here a while and, and you've never learned the dance. Maybe you used to sing the song all the time and now you don't sing it anymore. Maybe you've never even been captivated by the song. I don't know today. I just want to spend a little time and pray as, we as we're closing that God helps us to find that song. Wherever you're at in life, whatever's going on, just make that your prayer. We don't have to start something new. We don't have to do something different. We just have to find that song. This is the beauty of what God's doing for, in us and with us. Just find the song. Would you guys stand with me? let's make that our prayer today God this morning help us to hear the song help us to find the flow the rhythm whatever analogy we want to use we understand what that is that there's something going on that your kingdom is already moving so help us to move in rhythm with it think of all of us and, and myself I have somebody in my life who I desperately want to come to know Jesus and so my prayer often for her is that somebody else who is hearing that song somebody else who believes in Jesus would at the right time cross her path because I know that that flow is going on kind of what I imagine and, th and then maybe somebody else is praying that for me so help me to find that rhythm that flow so that when you cause somebody else's loved one to cross in front of my path I recognize that and I 
sing with that. That's what this kingdom is. It's a beautiful thing that you've created. So help us to bring it to the world. This kingdom of earth is no good. It's crazy. People hate each other. They're petty every day. They're mean to each other. Don't let us fall into that. Help us to live in your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name.